Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together as we study God's Word, and let us be challenged to apply His truth to our hearts so that we may serve Him faithfully. May God bless you. Thank you, Wendy. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21. Picking up where we left off last week, allow me to read this passage. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the sheep, sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and, uh, and scatters them. Make sure I was on, okay? He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. A division occurred among uh, the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? Let's bow together. Dear Lord, open our hearts and minds to the truths of your word. Help us to apply it in a way that helps us uh, truly understand who Jesus is in our lives and whether or not we truly believe that he is who he says he is. Lord, God, our study today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look in the very first part of uh, chapter, chapter 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. And this is the fourth of Jesus' I am statements found in John. And let's kind of break it down a little bit. Those two words, I am, go all the way back to Exodus where Moses was asking God, who shall I say has sent me? He says, I am sent you. And that simply means Almighty God has sent you. Now, when Jesus uses those two words, he is equating himself as Almighty God and the Jewish religious leaders did not know how to handle that. They did not like it. They considered it blasphemy, and but he continued to state that anyway. So he's, again, equating himself with God. Then he identifies his role. He says, I am the good shepherd. Well, what does good mean? Well, we all try to be good, don't we? How, how good do we succeed at being good? Not very good, do we? Jesus is the epitome of good. It means the absence of evil. Basically, it describes uh, this intrinsic nature of goodness. He is good by nature. He cannot be anything but good, pure, holy, righteous. So Jesus is the good, pure, holy, righteous shepherd. But being good means he knows what he's doing. He knows how to be the perfect model, the ideal model of a shepherd. So, in fact, when Jesus says, I am good, he's basically saying, I am God. So that connotation of good means that perfection, being of God. 
And then the last part of that verse says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Now, does a shepherd truly lay down his life for his sheep? Well, we can look back at a little young man named David before he became king. Uh, he went out to to bring food to his brothers who were standing on the battle lines. And he saw this giant called Goliath. And he says, I'll go fight him. And King Saul brings him aside and tries to put his armor on him. It's not going to fit. And David simply says to him in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, he says, King Saul, I'm a shepherd. I have gone out and saw a bear take a sheep out of my fold. And I went out and grabbed the bear by the beard and killed it. And I've also killed a lion. I'm not afraid of Goliath. If God can defend me from the bear and the lion, he can defend me from Goliath. Now, that's just a simple young man named David. But he was willing to lay his life down for his sheep. How many shepherds were willing to do that? Probably quite a few. Did they have a a point where they would finally give up and say, my life's not worth this? They would fight the, the the predators to a point we really don't know. Some may have died trying to defend their sheep. Others may have finally found a time where, okay, I'm not going to do my sheep any good if I die. But they were all willing to to stand in the way of danger. Well, Jesus didn't just risk his life. He laid down his life. He knew that he was going to die for his sheep. And that is something that we must understand. So we look and we see... uh, the contrast between the good shepherd and the hirelings, the ones who were hired. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. These men were just simply hired on to help take care of the sheep. They didn't own the sheep. They were not their sheep. It's basically just extra spending money for them. For some, they did not have the uh, the wherewithal to be able to be a true shepherd. Uh, they didn't have the finances to, to buy their own uh, herd of sheep. What they did is they were hired on to lead sheep into a pasture for food to the waters so that they could drink. But when the predators came, they were not willing to risk their lives for the sheep. They fled. Basically, they're saying, these are not my sheep. I'm not invested in their lives. I'm just here for a few extra dollars. And so when the predators came, instead of standing in the way, risking their lives, they fled. Let the sheep fend for themselves, which they could not do. So the sheep were uh, scattered and they were attacked. Now, what's the difference? Jesus is the owner of the sheep. He owns us. He died. He paid a hefty price for us. He gave his own life, died on the cross for our sins. Says that we have been atoned. We have been purchased by his blood. We belong to Jesus. And he has ownership over us. And he's willing to die for us. So we look at the contrast between the good shepherd and the hireling sheep. Well, let's look at the relationship between the good shepherd and the sheep. Look at verses 14 and 15. I am, the good shepherd, he repeats it again. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. 
That word know is a kind of a unique word. You know, we use it as, well, I know what you're talking about. I know the answer to this question. It's an intellectual type thing most times when we use the word know. But in the Bible, it really talks about intimacy, an intimate relationship. Uh, one of the ways it's used is in a marriage relationship where a husband and wife are intimate with each other. But many times throughout the Bible, it talks about having a personal, intimate relationship with someone else. And Jesus is talking about knowing his people, the sheep of his pasture, and they knowing him in the same manner that God knows Jesus and Jesus knows the Father. Now, I'll be honest with you, I can't really fully comprehend the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We know that there's two persons, the Father and the Son, but there's still one God. Folks, the Trinity is something that you can't describe with an egg or anything else. You can kind of use some, some illustrations, but there's no way our little finite minds can fully comprehend the Trinity. But we know that God the Father and God the Son are one. They are of the same essence, and their love for each other is indescribable. One does not do anything that the other would not do. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But basically when Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, it is an intimate relationship that God has opened up for us through Jesus. He died for us so that we could be a part of the family of God. That is a huge privilege that we have. To be a part of the family of God. The, the Bible even tells us that we are co-heirs with Jesus. We inherit the same heaven that he has. That's special. And it's also an unconditional love. None of us will ever deserve that love. That knowledge, that relationship that we have with the Lord. He gives it to us because he loves us. Unconditional love. And it's love that cannot be separated. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's an intimate relationship that God has with us through his son, Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I know I have this intimate relationship with my sheep. And they know me. They have an intimate relationship with me, just like I, the Father, uh, the Father and I, the Son, have Verse 16 is one of these unique verses. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this because it affects you and I. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. If you go back to verse 1 of this chapter, it talks about the fold. And we talked about that last week. We said the fold represented the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And Jesus did exactly what the Father had commanded. He came first to his own, the Jewish people, and he ministered to them first. Now we also know that Jesus has opened the doors to the Gentiles. He went to a Samaritan woman at the well and ministered to her. He has done other things alongside to those outside the flock. The, the, the fold are the Jewish people. 
Now, how many of those are Jesus' sheep? Not all of them. Only those who hear his voice and who follow him. Those are the ones who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They have surrendered by faith that he is Lord of their lives. Now he says, there are others who are not in this fold. The fold are the Jews. So who are the others who are not of the fold? Well, look around. You're seeing them. They're us. We're Gentiles. Gentile basically means not Jewish. If you're not a, if you're not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. And so I'm a Gentile. And he's talking about the rest of the world. Now, we struggle with this a little bit. Why did God choose the Jewish people as his chosen people to kind of bring them as this special group out of all the entire inhabitants of the world? Only God knows that. I don't. But here's something from the very beginning that God promised. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. When God first called Abram before he went out to the promised land. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what God said in his initial calling to Abram, the father of the Jewish people. Now in Acts chapter 3, verse 25, we see it being repeated and quoted. It says, It is you who are the sons of the prophets, they're talking, talking to the Jewish people there, and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abram, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So even in the New Testament, this is being repeated and confirmed. But then we go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. Here's the good part that pertains to us. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So here was Paul showing how history had fulfilled itself, that in you, Gentiles, saved by faith, this took place as the prophecy happened, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed in you. So, what Jesus is saying at that point is, there are others outside the fold of the Jewish people who need to be a part of this. And I will go and become their shepherd. And they will become my flock. Now most translations say one flock out of out of the folds. Now I think it's the King James Version that may say become one fold. Well it's not one fold because not all who are in the fold hear his voice and follow him. It is only those who lead the fold and follow Jesus as shepherd who become his flock. One flock, one shepherd. Not two flocks and two shepherds. One flock, one shepherd. Not two flocks and one shepherd. Jesus wants all of us together as one. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, a Gentile. If you 
hear his voice and follow him, you are a part of one family, the family of God. Folks, that's important. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter whether you came from Scotland, like me, uh, from my heritage, or from a mom's side, from England. doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you're Asian or African or anything. doesn't matter. What matters is do you hear his voice and follow him? If you do... You are one flock with one shepherd. That is so critical for us to understand. So Jesus is our shepherd. Well, look at verses 17 through 18. Jesus is telling us his authority. He's going to lay his life down. How does he do that? How can anybody say, I'm going to die for you? We can't do that, can we? Well... Let's just be honest. There are men and women who have volunteered to serve in our military and they're willing to place themselves in harm's way, even die for their nation. There are men and women who serve as firefighters, policemen, EMTs, many who are willing to put their life in jeopardy for the well-being of others. But if they died... They may save the life of one or a few people for a time. That person's eventually going to die. But what about Jesus? He's saying, I'm laying down my life for my sheep. But he says, I have the authority to not only lay down my life, but also to take it up again. What Jesus is doing, he is simply prophesying or sharing about what is going to happen. He is going to lay down his life. He is going to sacrifice his life for you and I, for all the sheep who hear his voice and follow him. But he's not going to stay dead. On the third day, he will rise again. Now, y'all know the gospel. You know that we are all sinners, that we deserve death and hell because of our sins. But God instead wants to give us a free gift of life through his son, Jesus Christ. And it says that God committed this love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then we have that wonderful Easter story that Jesus arose to give us salvation from our sins. Proof that he paid the price, the penalty of our sin debt. Death. And he rose to give us eternal life. That's what Jesus is promising that he can do. But why would he do it? Why would he do it? He wants to be obedient to the Father. That's the only purpose that Jesus came in a physical form to earth. He came, yes, to to give us wise teachings. He set the stage of how we ought to live, how we ought to treat each other, how we ought to forgive one another, how we ought to love each other as ourselves. But he ultimately came to die for our sins, to die in our place. Now, let's just be honest. Jesus could have stayed out in Galilee where he did the majority of his ministry. It's a pretty safe place out there. Uh, The Jewish religious leaders like to stay around Jerusalem, or at least in that area of Judea. They didn't want to venture way out like that. Jesus is pretty safe out there. 
But the Bible says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem when the time had come. Otherwise, Jesus had been to Jerusalem a number of times, and these same religious leaders tried to capture him, tried to arrest him, so that they could execute him. And every time, Jesus was able to slip through, to disappear, and they were not able to touch him. And every time, the scripture says, because it was not yet his time. But when it was his time, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, made a beeline towards Jerusalem, got on the colt of a donkey, rode in as a triumphant way of saying, I am the new king, the king of the Jews. Now, from human perspective, it looked like the the Jewish leaders turned Jesus over to the Romans and had the Romans to execute him by crucifixion. That's not what happened. The Jews didn't crucify Jesus. The Romans didn't crucify Jesus. Jesus gave his life. He laid it down. He died on his own accord for us. That's just the way that God used for his death to take place. We can look at all sorts of different ways that that means something to us. But here's the simple fact. Jesus gave his life. He laid it down on his own accord because he had the authority to do so. But not only the authority to lay his life down, but to rise it up again. Raise it up again. Now, who raised Jesus? Did Jesus raise himself? Or did God raise Jesus? The answer is yes. Well, we've got a couple of verses. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Hebrews 13, 20. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. Yet here Jesus says, I had the authority to raise myself up. One thing we need to understand is that what Jesus and God do are always in harmony. Here's something, if you just go back about five chapters, you'll find the answer. John chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, one of those fabulous words, Truly, truly, I say to you, The Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So the Father and the Son are working as one doing the same thing, raising Jesus from the dead. Now, we could spend weeks on this, but you know the truth. You know that Jesus died for your sins. He died in your place, paying the penalty for the debt of our sin, which is death. And he rose from the grave on that third day to prove that he had paid that price, that God had accepted it, and that he was raised from the dead give us salvation from our sins, and give us the promise of eternal life. We know that. Not everybody knows that. Not everybody understands that. Jesus is saying these words for all to hear. But the religious leaders did not want to hear this. And so some of them, in verses 20 and 21, there was a division that occurred. Some said, he is a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? In other words, they had already rejected Jesus from a long time ago and had no desire to listen to him. 
and didn't want anybody else to listen to him. And so they tried to discredit Jesus and say, he's insane, he is possessed by a demon, whatever it is, he is talking gibberish, nothing that he says is the truth, he is making this up, he believes that he is God, he's not, he is speaking blasphemy. And then there were others that began to believe. These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? So we look and we see, even as Jesus himself was talking, there were two two groups. There were those who would not listen, did not want to listen to Jesus. We can call them atheists, agnostics, whatever you want to call them. They rejected Jesus as God's son, the Messiah, the Christ. Then there were others that saw the evidence. Look at what this man has done. This blind man being given sight was only one of many miracles that Jesus did and that many of these had either witnessed or heard about. He had fed 5,000 people, 5,000 men plus their families, with just a handful of fish and loaves of bread. That's a miracle. Turn water into wine. Healed the lepers. Healed other blind people. Cast out demons. How can someone who is a demon possessed do all these things? And then look at his teachings. His teachings are filled with love, forgiveness, compassion. How can these be of Satan? And so many people were beginning to listen. And we're beginning to believe. Now the question we have to leave ourselves with today is, is there any doubt in your mind as to who Jesus is? Do you truly know who Jesus is? Well, here's the simple facts. He either is who he says he is. He is God the Son who died for your sins and rose from the dead to prove that he had paid the penalty of your sins and has given you eternal life, that he's Messiah, or he is a false teacher. He cannot be one or the other. He is, I mean, he, he cannot be both. There is no middle ground. He's one or the other. So, a lot of people that you may meet might say, well, I've heard Jesus, he was a good teacher. That's basically what the Muslims believe. He was a, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. He taught good things. But they don't see him as the Messiah. They don't see him as God the Son. Folks, how can you say that he's a good teacher if he says, I am God? A good teacher doesn't lie to you, does he? How can you claim that someone who claims to be God is someone that you need to listen to if you're not believing that he is a God? So he is either insane or he is who he says he is. Who is he to you? Is he truly God the Son, who died for your sins so that you could have salvation, eternal life. If you got that settled, the next question is, what are we going to do with the ones who don't believe? Y'all do understand there's a lot of them around, even in Macon, Mississippi. Even in this part of the world, there's still a lot of people who do not know who Jesus is. They've heard about him. 
A lot of people were raised in churches. They went to Sunday school. They've been part of vacation Bible schools. They've heard the stories of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. That intimate relationship of the sheep who have heard his voice and who now follow him. They've heard of Jesus, but they don't hear Jesus. They're not following that voice. How do we reach out to them? We can share our own personal testimony of how we heard the voice of Christ and became a follower of him. We can share a very simple plan of salvation. We can invite them to hear a message like this today. There are a lot of different ways. I'm praying that because of COVID-19, that because there's the internet is flooded with pastors who have taken to their waves, taken to the uh, podcast and all sorts of different things, that somehow people are tuning in. But to be honest with you, those without Christ really have no desire to listen to a message. How do we how do we get them to Christ? We build relationships. We find out who they are. Show them unconditional love. Show them compassion. Show them forgiveness. Show them what Jesus showed us. And say, you know, what I'm showing you is what's in me from Jesus. His Holy Spirit lives in me. I would like to share how you could have that same spirit in you. How you could receive salvation. How you could hear the voice of Christ and follow him. Something we all need to be in prayer about. How can we be a part of pointing others to the great shepherd? Well, this this passage says the good shepherd. Well, later on, he's called the great shepherd as well as the chief shepherd. That's Jesus. And we need to do all that we can to introduce people to him, to point them to a way that they can hear his voice and follow him. Let's bow together. Lord, we come to you tonight. Lord, I I don't know of anyone here that does not know you as their great shepherd. That we all know that you truly laid your life down. You died for us. You died for our sins. And Lord, that you rose from the dead to prove that you had overcome the penalty of sin, which is death, and now give us salvation and eternal life. Lord, we believe that. Lord, there's so many around us that do not believe. They've heard it. They've heard the voice of Jesus, but they're not following the voice of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to know how we can best minister, how we can best share the truth. The gospel, that Jesus is who he says he is, that only those who believe in him will have salvation and eternal life. All others will have been judged by their own rejection. Lord, give us a burden, a heart's desire to share this message. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your love for us, for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.